chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. It says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Continuing our study on the subject of giving and receiving, giving and receiving, and one of the first things that we mentioned when we began this study is how religion tries to separate giving from receiving or receiving from giving, but these are not two separate things, but two parts of one thing, according to the Word of God. And we've been after this lie that has been believed by a lot of people and the lie is that you should not give to receive and I know some folks are like wait a second Pastor Mark you should not give to receive according to the world according to a buying and selling mindset you should not give to receive according to Christ according to Jesus according to your Father in heaven, according to His principles of giving and receiving, sowing and reaping, giving is how you receive. Giving is how you receive. Remember, we've looked at these things from a world economy, worldview, buying and selling mindset, as opposed to the way Father's economy works in His kingdom, which is sowing and reaping. And we see it right here. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruit of all your increase. So it's honoring God with our giving. And Jesus explained that there are ways that we could give that are not honorable to God. And so the key here is giving in a way that honors God. And we've been looking at what that means along the way. But here, honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruit of your increases, with your increase, so your barns will be filled. So he's literally he's saying, honor the Lord with your possessions, so your barns will be filled with plenty. And the word so means for this reason, in order that, or to such a great extent, that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So we said honoring God with your possessions is a tangible expression of trust. And that's where the real difference is in all of this. It, it, it's, it's, is our giving honorable to God? Well, is it an expression of our trust in Him? Is it an expression of our trust in His ways and His wisdom concerning our finances? Then we jump over to Matthew 6, 3 and 4. It says, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And the word reward in verse 4 means the fulfillment of an obligation or expectation. The fulfillment of an obligation or expectation. So literally, we could translate that passage this way, and your Father who sees in secret will personally fulfill his obligation and your expectation by openly giving to you in a way that is undeniably Him. When it says He will reward you openly, the translation of those words means that 
that when he rewards you in front of everybody, it will be obvious to everybody that the reward is from God and not just something that you were able to pull off on your own. Now, we made some other points along the way that I'm just trying to, to review as we move on to some new things this morning. We see in Scripture that God's plan for you is to be a living sacrifice, becoming living proof of a living God. And we said the world needs to see that it pays to serve, honor, and obey God, and nothing gets the world's attention faster than money. And it's the devil who wants people to associate living for God with boredom, restriction, and poverty. The devil is the one who wants people to think that that's what a life for God is all about. Now, we wanted to expose some convoluted thinking along these lines last week, and I'm not going to go back through the whole scenario, but it's there on tape if you'd like to, or video if you'd like to go back and watch that. But we see that people say, you know, don't give to receive because if you give to receive, you won't receive from God. So notice the thinking goes, if you give to receive, you won't receive. So make sure you're not giving to receive so you'll be sure and receive when you give. And have you noticed the same people who say you shouldn't give to receive also love to say you can't outgive God? Have you, have you noticed that? I mean, I pay attention. Have you noticed that? I've been paying attention for a lot of years. Over, you, you shouldn't give to receive, but you can't outgive God. Well, I mean, what... Notice, we want to say everything but giving and receiving. And when you say, listen, I believe you can't outgive God. But the reason I believe that is not because of some religious tradition. It's because of what the scriptures teach us. So we said last week, it basically comes down to a simple question. Has God promised to bless and increase you financially when your giving honors Him? Has God promised that? I'm not talking about what they believed and preached at your mama's church when you were being raised. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about what has God said about it. What has God said about it? Okay? Because either He has promised to bless and increase you financially when your giving honors Him, or He has not done that. And we shouldn't let false humility, religious tradition, buying and selling mindsets, all these lies from the devil influence the way we answer this question and the way we understand it. Now, we've looked at this verse a few times from Luke chapter 6. I want to show it to you in a few more translations just to make it clear. And there are verses that we're going to repeat deliberately, on purpose, repeat during our study because I want you to not just be familiar with these verses, I want you to be familiar with where they are in the Scriptures. Okay? Because the Bible says that you should be able to give an answer when someone asks you about what you believe and why you believe it. And so Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus speaking, the head of the church, speaking, he says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be put into your bosom for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Here's the same passage from the God's Word translation. Give and you will receive a large quantity pressed together, shaken down, and running over will be put into your pockets. The standards, the standards you use for others will be applied to you. So when it says into your bosom, 
in, in the days where men wore robes, there, there weren't really pockets, I guess, on those robes. And so if they, if they needed to carry a large quantity of things, they would reach down and grab the corners of their robes and, and make a, like, a, like a chef with an apron or something. They would make a pocket so they could carry more things in it. So I like the more modernized version of God's word. A large quantity running over will be put into your pocket. Luke 6.38 from the New Living Translation. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. The Passion Translation. Give generously and generous gifts will be given back to you. Shaken down to make room for more, abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that it will run over the top. Your measurement of generosity becomes the measurement of your return. Of your return. We'll, throughout the course of our study, we'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Um, I don't know if we, we may go verse by verse through those two chapters. But 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and, and 9 are some very important teachings, words of God, amen, on the subject of giving and receiving. We read a larger portion of those last week. I'm not going to do that this morning, but just something that you need to be familiar with. Not just that the Bible says this, but where? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. But this I say to you, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I like this passage uh, for multiple reasons, one of which is we see that giving and sowing are used interchangeably here. And the context of these verses, uh, 100% financial gifts, financial giving, offerings, that uh, money that are, are given uh, uh, to see God's kingdom grow and develop and flourish. That's the context. So when you read, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, we're seeing that not only do we give to receive, in God's economy of sowing and reaping, but in the same way, the amount you give directly impacts the amount you receive by way of harvest. In the same way that a, a farmer who plants very little seed receives little harvest in return, although the harvest is more than the seed, Right, one seed has the potential of a stalk of corn and ears of corn. So there is that exponential increase that comes from harvest. Come on now. I want to get to this part, but there's some groundwork we need to lay first. But let me just say this. Our Father has made it so that anything you give to honor Him becomes a seed. It becomes a seed. And by God allowing things that you give to honor Him to become a seed, this means 
there's exponential increase in a seed. So if a farmer needs more wheat, he recognizes that one grain of wheat has heads of, 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 of wheat in it. So he plants the corn, he plants the wheat, he plants the bean as opposed to eating it, he plants it because he knows that he's not just going to get one bean back or one grain of wheat back or one kernel of corn back. He plants it because he knows that when it goes from something that he would have eaten to something that he planted, that the seed now has the exponential increase in it. It has the potential to produce many more of its own kind back to him. So when Father God says that you and I can put our trust in him and our money can either be something that we consume or we can turn it into seed and it can be something that we plant, in the same way, you can plant a dollar and receive many times over back from that dollar because God allows you to turn that dollar into a seed. He gives seed to plant and he gives bread to eat. You're getting quiet on me up in here. He gives you seed to plant and he gives you bread to eat. Everything comes from him. The problem that so many of us have is we see everything as bread to eat. When's the last time you got a raise? Hopefully, hadn't been that long ago, right? See, when, when you get a raise, do you go, oh man, more bread to eat? Or do you say, oh man, more seed to plant? See, we tend to get a raise and automatically think, all right, man, new car, come man, yeah. Buy your new car, I'm not saying that, but if you eat all of your seed and never plant any, Here's another thing the Lord was really stirring in me this week. He said, I have created a way for my children to cultivate wealth. Wealth is something that can be cultivated. Just like corn can be cultivated. Just like beans, soybeans can be cultivated. Gina was... Um, she was spent a lot of years in her younger days in Alaska. Her family lived in Alaska. Her parents were, were teachers there. And she was talking about the wild blueberries in Alaska. And I was like, well, are they, how do they compare like to, I guess, domesticated blueberries? She goes, oh, they're way better, way sweeter. You know, I was like, man, okay, you've got my attention. My, my grandsons love blueberries. Well, there are, there are things that just kind of grow wild that still, you know, um, sowing and reaping, it's, it's, it's just things that just kind of randomly happen. Is a, is a farmer wrong because he doesn't just hope that some more corn will come up, but he actually cultivates the field 
and deliberately and intentionally plants corn. My, my wife loves, and my mother too, they love what, what they call a volunteer. Anybody in here, you, you know about them, Sister Terry. I know you love plants and flowers. and A volunteer, what does that mean? Well, Pam will plant bulbs and she'll plant uh, impatience and begonias and different stuff, right? But when, uh, and uh, let me get this right now, the ones that don't come back every year is a annual yeah, an annual versus a perennial. A perennial come back every year. When an annual, all of a sudden just, we had one spring up in our concrete. It's just this uh, impatient. It's a flower, for those of you who don't know. I mean, it's cracking the concrete. Somehow a seed wound up there. And, and it, oh, it was, it, of all the flowers Pam had, that was her favorite one. It's a volunteer, Okay. Meaning what? Meaning she didn't plant it, it just the cycle of life, right? It, it survived the winter, the seed, found some dirt somewhere, found some water, and, and, and up it comes, okay? It's a volunteer. Well, I'm, don't get me wrong, volunteers are nice. But if a farmer just, like, crossed his fingers and hoped for, a, for some volunteer corn, no, see, he cultivates it. He cultivates it. And so many of God's people... He's, he's presented us with the opportunity to cultivate wealth, but we're just living on the volunteers. We just hope that maybe this will surprise us out of nowhere and this will come up and, you know, uncle so-and-so passed and we got an inheritance and this, this sort of thing. Well, amen. You can cultivate it. So he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give. So he connects Sowing with giving and giving with sowing. And he says, do it as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Malachi 3 and 10, he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So we're going back to this um, really simple question. Has God promised to bless and increase you financially when your giving honors him? And this is just a few of the verses that we could have looked at this morning that absolutely support that now. I'm like, Father, just trying to give you some window into my conversations with him and, and wanting to do more than just, don't misunderstand me, I don't mean any disrespect when I say this, but I know, I know a good bit about this subject and, and I could just, I could come up here with a Bible and no notes and, and, and preach for days on this subject, but I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to, that's, that's being, uh, uh, you know, assuming. And, and I'm like, Father, you know, I, I, this, is a, this is an important subject because it's a big subject. Um, why, are, why do people have such trouble with this? And, and we've already talked about the buying and selling mindset. We're gonna, we've got some more notes on that we're going to look at in, in, in the future. But... <clears throat> Here is is another, I think, aspect or, or part of all of this that, that people have yet to come to terms with in their lives. And because we, we haven't come to terms with this part, it's difficult, if not impossible, for us to come to terms with the rest of it. And here, here's the part that people have failed to come to terms with, and that is, your Heavenly Father wants you to be blessed, and He wants you to enjoy His blessing on your life. 
He wants you blessed. And we could look at verse after verse. To me, some of the most uh, impactful ones along these lines is where he compares the heart of our heavenly father to the heart of an earthly father. And if as an earthly father we want more and better and good for our children, how much more does our heavenly father want more and better and good for, for us, for, for his children? So a problem then with giving and receiving money points to an even bigger problem with receiving God's grace. So stay with me for a minute, and we'll, we'll be right here, I guess, till we, till we end this morning. A problem with giving and receiving money points to an even bigger problem with receiving God's grace. Romans chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. When your employer pays you on Friday, you may tell him thank you, but that was not a gift. You worked for that money, and they owed you that money, and so it was wages earned, not a gift given. See, a buying and selling mindset locks us into earning as opposed to receiving. A buying and selling mindset locks us into earning as opposed to receiving. I'm sure nobody in this room, but have you ever heard somebody say, I've worked hard for everything I've got? I've worked hard for everything I've got. Okay? A buying and selling economy tries to replace trust in God with hard work and rugged individualism. Things that we tend to um, hold in high regard here in the good old USA. Now, am I saying we should be lazy? I am absolutely not saying that. As a matter of fact, God is not saying that. We see the Bible speaks of the purposes for which we were created. But there's a difference between tending and keeping and toiling and sweating. I've worked hard for everything I've got. Notice now, earning carries with it the idea of deserving. Earning carries with it the idea of deserving. But here's the thing that we all know, whether we want to admit or not, we can't get to where we were created to be by ourselves. And the things that you desire most in life are not for sale. not for sale you can't buy them you can't earn them you can't work hard enough that's why even our founding fathers they they didn't say everybody has a right to a good life they said everybody has a right to pursue happiness you have a right to pursue it but it's not a guarantee so earning and deserving are subsets of pride while grace and receiving are subsets of humility. Said in a simpler way, earning and grace are in opposition to one another. And we see this spelled out very uh, specifically for us 
in Romans, the fourth chapter. Now, I'm going to ask you a simple question. It may not be the most important question that you're asked all day, but it, don't just brush it aside. It's an important question, okay? Are you comfortable receiving things you did not earn? Are you comfortable receiving things you did not earn? Or let me, let me rephrase the question. Same question, just different wording. Are you comfortable receiving things you do not believe you deserve? See, this is, this is what we mean by a problem with expecting to give, I'm sorry, expecting to receive when you give. Money is pointing to a bigger problem with just receiving God's grace in general. It's getting quiet up in here. I hope you're thinking. Are you comfortable receiving things you did honor? See, it goes back to if I didn't, if I if I can't pay for it, I don't want it. If I can't, you know, it's it's this whole mindset of I've earned my own way. I paid for everything I've got. I uh, I own it all. You know, I own it all. It's so debt free. You know, just you know, and and I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't like aspire to be debt free. Don't misunderstand me. But do do you see? the undertones of, of pride in all of that, right? I'm not a charity case. Boy, how many times have I heard that over the years? I'm not a charity case. Are you comfortable receiving things you did not earn? The younger brother, also known as the restored son, most popularly known today as the prodigal son, he was not comfortable receiving what he didn't earn. His dad's putting the best robe on his back. He's putting the family signet ring on his hand. He's putting a nice pair of shoes on his feet. And the whole while, the son is saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not going to receive it from you as a gift, Father, I want you to make me like one of your employees so that I can earn my way back into right standing with you. He was not comfortable receiving what he didn't feel like he deserved. He wasn't comfortable receiving um, what he didn't feel like he had earned, which tells us something then about his inheritance, right? He believed he was owed his inheritance and he received it gladly. Getting quiet up in here. a simple question but i think it needs to be asked to make the point as we move forward does god want you to be righteous and to live in and enjoy righteousness i don't i don't know of any church in the united states or for that matter anywhere else that i you know to ask that question that people wouldn't say yes to it yes god wants you to be righteous and he doesn't just want you to be righteous, he wants you to live in and enjoy righteousness. Remember, he made you righteous so that you could live in and enjoy righteousness. He made you free so that you could live in and enjoy freedom, right? If the Son makes you free, you shall be free in your performed action. He knows that he's got to make you 
free so that you can live in freedom. He's got to make you righteous so that you can live in righteousness. That's why you don't find be righteous in the scriptures. You find words to God's people. You find awake to righteousness because when you're born again, he makes you just as right with him as Jesus, the gift of righteousness, right? He gives you that as a gift. He makes you righteous so that you then have the wherewithal in your life to actually live out and enjoy righteousness in your life reality. It's part of our salvation, is it not? Well, let's look a little closer at that for a minute. Romans 5 and 17, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will do what? Will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So our right standing with God is not based upon anything we've done to earn or deserve it. Remember, Jesus and what He did for you on the cross affords your Heavenly Father now the luxury of giving to you and to me what He desires for us to have, not what we deserve. Let me tell you again, you do not want what you deserve. You want what God desires for you to have. Which means we've got to learn to get comfortable with receiving things we didn't earn. We've got to get comfortable enjoying things we don't deserve. As long as that's hanging over our head. You realize how many people can enjoy their freedom, can enjoy their righteousness, can enjoy the benefits of their salvation and the, and the new birth realities that, that they now possess because they, they feel like they've got to somehow live up to it and earn it and deserve it and, and make their own way. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin. I'm setting you up if you hadn't figured this out. Okay, just let me set you up, all right? For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So how is it that we have been made right with God, this abundance of grace, this gift of righteousness? Let me tell you how. It wasn't just abracadabra or hocus pocus. Jesus became your sin so that you could become His righteousness. He became what you were so you could become who He is. Are you following this? This this wasn't just Father God, you know, uh, deciding one day to shred the books and just forget about it and sweep it all under the rug. No, He's a just God and it had to be paid for. That's why we see in Romans that what Jesus did for us allowed His heavenly Father to be both a just God and the justifier of those who have put their faith in Him. You can't just wipe it away. There, had to be, there was a, a debt owed and a price had to be paid and Jesus was the only one qualified because He was more undeserving of the punishment than we were all collectively deserving of it. So He paid for your sin so that you could be made the righteousness of God in Him. I am just as right before God the Father this morning as Jesus. Not because I deserve it. Not because I've earned it. Not because I was raised in church and memorized a bunch of Bible verses and had perfect Sunday school attendance three years in a row. It has nothing to do with it. I have this standing with God the Father because of a gift I was given, an abundance of grace. And the gift of righteousness. Do you realize how many of God's people aren't comfortable with that? They fight it. They resist it. They argue against it. They refuse to, to, um, to just simply believe it and accept it. 
and, and, and insist on... Well, as a matter of fact, look at it. It says it in Romans 10 and 3. It says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is not something you earn. It's something you submit to. It's not about beating your chest and say, Look at what I've done. That's what the Bible says uh, Abraham discovered or learned from God about, about righteousness and about faith, is that it's, it's not about anything he's done to earn it, so therefore he doesn't have anything to brag about. Not about boasting, not about look at me, not about look at what I've done. It's look at what he's done and look at who he's made me and look at what he's given to me and look at how he's blessed me and look at how he's helped me and look at how he loves me. But people who are ignorant of God's righteousness and seek to establish their own righteousness, they've done what? They're failing to submit to the righteousness of God. Now I'm going to change the question on you. I'm going to go from does God want you to be righteous and to live in and enjoy righteousness to does God want you to be rich and to live in and enjoy financial abundance? See that one, everybody's like, oh, what about that vow of poverty? What about, is it, see, this one is not near, I mean, you, I mean, y'all were saying yes before I could even get the final righteousness out of my mouth. I mean, was, yes, absolutely yes, right? Does God want you to be rich and to live in and enjoy financial abundance? Not just financial independence, financial abundance. Financial independence, by the way, is covered in uh, 2 Corinthians 9 where you, you, you're not dependent upon other entities and other things of this world for what you need. Say, so Pastor Mark, what, what, are you, what are you saying? Well, let's look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you... You, that you, come on now, personalize it. That you, through His poverty, might become rich. Do you see it's the same pattern? He became your sin so you could become His righteousness. He became your poverty so you could become wealthy. Now, religion takes verses like this and tries to manipulate and massage them into meaning something other than money or wealth. Well, you know, it's like a a wealth of joy. Has God made provision for your joy? Has He made provision for your peace? Yes, He has. But He has also made provision for your financial increase and abundance. So, just to be clear and to make it plain, where it says, though he was rich. That means he possessed wealth, abundance, and riches. Okay? We've been over this already. Jesus was given three lifetimes of wealth at his birth as as baby gifts. Gold, frankincense, and uh, myrrh from kings. Okay? I'm not going to go back through all that. He had a house. Read the Bible. Read when Jesus says to the to the young man, "Are you sure you want to follow me? Because I don't have any place to lay my head." He was moving from place to place and city to city, 
He, he was a traveling ministry at that point. In the early days of Jesus' life, he had a home. He invited the early disciples there to his home to sit down with him and, and, and to talk with him. This idea that he lived in poverty is ridiculous on a lot of levels, but one, if he lived in poverty his whole life, then 2 Corinthians 8 9 is a lie. You say, well, it, it, that's why it doesn't mean, it does mean this. It absolutely means money. It absolutely means wealth. It absolutely means abundance. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, it means that he possessed wealth, abundance, and riches. Yet for your sakes, what did he do? He became poor. Became poor literally means like a beggar in abject poverty, completely destitute and helpless. The original Greek word comes from the root that means to cower as one who is helpless. And from that we get the concept of someone who has absolutely nothing and is stooped down by the side of the road in abject poverty, begging for someone to to give them something because they are completely destitute and helpless. Now, this is the same pattern. Remember now, He became our sin. Right? In part or in whole. One sacrifice for all sin for all time. Every sin that has ever been committed or ever will be committed on planet earth, Jesus became that as He hung suspended between heaven and earth. It was so gruesome, and I'm not talking about the blood from the wounds in his hands and feet and side and head and back. It became so gruesome. I believe when he became your sin that his body became so disfigured by it that that's why darkness. I believe Father God had to turn the lights out. And he turned his back on him. When it talks about becoming poor and abject poverty, completely destitute and helpless... Remember, he said, I can't do anything without my father. When he became your sin and my sin, this was when Father God turned his back on him. Our Wednesday evening study, I pray to Jesus that you were participating in that one way or another. We, we are learning some life-changing things about faith and receiving from God. And amen, I'm not here to advertise that. I just, I want you to be blessed. I want you to benefit from it, right? But one of the things that we see that the, that the angel asked uh, Abraham and Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, you know, we're talking about a God who breathes galaxies out of his mouth. But let me tell you what's hard for him. Let me tell you what was hard for him. Let me tell you what was almost impossible for him to do. Turn his back on Jesus when he became your sin and my sin. He told me years ago, he says, the hardest thing I've ever done. He said, but I, I did it knowing that if I turned my back on him that day, I would never have to turn my back on one of my children ever again. He do, he, is anything too hard for him? That, it, that was almost too hard for him, but he did it. What was involved in making you and me right with God the Father again? That was hard. That was hard. It was hard It was hard work. It was hard effort. It was a hard thing for Jesus to do what he did to put you and me in this position. Became poor means like a beggar in abject poverty, completely destitute and helpless. Become rich. 
in the Greek language, from the Word of God, in its original form, it means possessing an abundance of riches, wealth, and material goods. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, if you take these definitions. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich was wealthy and possessed wealth, abundance, and riches. Yet for your sakes he became poor, like a beggar in abject poverty, completely destitute and helpless, that you through his poverty might become rich, possess an abundance of riches, wealth, and material goods. He says you know the grace. You see this? This is all grace. What is grace? Grace is you and me getting comfortable with things that we didn't, we didn't earn. Grace is God being good to you when, you when you don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. You can't compensate Him for it. Grace is God putting the best robe on your back, the best ring on your fingers, the best shoes on your feet, and you telling Him, no, thank you, sir. I'd, I'd rather just try to be good enough long enough for you to owe me these things because we're not comfortable receiving things that we didn't earn. Pastor Mark, wait a second. I thought we were talking about giving and receiving. See, this goes back to it, right? You should never give to receive, but you can't outgive God. This is grace. It's God's grace that allows you to take a $20 bill and go buy a shirt with it, which, again... That's fine, okay? Or you can take that $20 bill and it can become seed for you to plant. And when you plant it in a way that honors God, that $20 bill becomes much more back to you than $20. And when the farmer plants the seed, he doesn't, bury it and have a funeral he doesn't grieve over it it's not a grudging obligation it's not grief and sorrow it's excitement because he knows that he just participated in something that's bigger than himself and the bible says he plants the seed and he he goes to sleep at night and rises by day and and he doesn't understand how there's whole stalks of corn in that one kernel of corn but he knows that it's there and he knows that what he's done is is something bigger than himself and he trusts the process that God has established and he plants in expectation of receiving and God is obligated to his word because he said that seed time and harvest will not fail right he said seed would bring forth after their own kind he's obligated to honor his word it's the it's the power it's, it's the Word of God's power that causes all of that to, to happen. But the farmer doesn't understand all of those details. And, and even as much as we understand about agriculture, there's still elements of it that are a mystery to the most brilliant um, uh, professor of agriculture. Because it's God. And we understand that when it comes to corn and wheat and, and, and whatever else, but the same principle applies with our finances.
Amen. Amen. We're going to do something different this morning. Amen. Um, Pops, would you do me a favor and uh, would you go, uh, Olivia is helping Pam in Children's Church. I, I need I need Miss Olivia. Amen. Matt, Vanessa, Daniel, would y'all come and, and, and get a song ready? Amen. I'm going to wait till Olivia gets in here to tell you what we're fixing to do. All right. Don't get nervous, Caleb, but amen. It's going to involve you too. Thank you, Jesus. Are you getting anything out of this? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this morning. This is not a benediction. This is just a prayer. Okay, just stay with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the things that you're teaching us and revealing to us about this. And Father, we see the same grace, the same grace that is provided for our right standing because Jesus became our sin so that we could become righteous. Is the same grace, Father, that involves our financial well-being because He became poor so that we could possess an abundance of wealth, riches, and material goods. Father, not just so we could be bragging about how much we have, but, Father, so that we would have an abundance to give and to continue to sow and continue to develop the things, Father, that you have for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that's before us now. Thank you for your blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, Sister Olivia. Caleb, I want you to come for a moment. Amen. Um, how many of you in here married? Just quick raise of the hand. Amen. Anybody? Uh, y'all come stand here beside me for a minute. All right. uh, this beautiful young couple, they, they were married earlier, but, of course, probably more so. I know you enjoyed it, but it's something about a bride on her wedding day, and, and Olivia... Um, and Caleb, they uh, saved up their money and, and had a, a beautiful wedding. It was, a little, it was a gazebo overlooking a lake up in Hayden, and uh, I was honored to uh, perform that ceremony for them last Sunday afternoon. And um, I'm not trying to embarrass them, okay, but uh, amen. They, they, again, they were already married, uh, I guess the courthouse, right, or, or what have you, but they, they, they wanted to do it right and do it official, and, and so they saved up their money and they did that. And um, I want us as a family of faith to bless them this morning. And so this is, this is how I envision this, all right? I'm going to get out of the way, and I'm going to stand here, and I'm going to let you guys start over on this end and just come around. And um, th- this, a lot of things about last Sunday afternoon, uh, bless me, Caleb and Olivia, but um, one of the things that they asked the, the I don't know, a handful of folks that were there, they asked that they had a notebook, a, a three-ring binder with colored pages in it, and they asked that everyone there go and write a blessing uh, to them over their marriage. And um, just putting God at the middle of all of it. Amen. And um, so they, they paid for their wedding. And I don't know, I just, I think as a family of faith, we, we ought to help them with that. What do y'all think? Amen. And so if you're, uh, if you're making out a check, uh, make it out to uh, Caleb Reynolds. Okay, that's with a K, right? Yeah, K-A-L-E-B Reynolds. But you know, if you've got a 10 spot or a 20 spot or whatever, amen. And they, got, they have, I'm telling you, they are, they are as shocked about this as anybody in this room. They had no idea I was going to do this, okay? All right. <laughs> um, and they can get me later. But I'm bigger than both of y'all, I think, so I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> Um, but you say, well, Pastor Mark, I, I, don't, I don't have the cash. right. That's fine. I still want you to come by here and shake their hands, hug their neck, bless them, amen, tell them you love them, congratulate them, amen. Um, 
I know you for a little while now, Olivia. How long have we known each other, girl? Six years. Six years. Six years. We never use these words, but she's like a spiritual daughter to Pam and I. And um, I guess that makes you spiritual son-in-law. No, I'm kidding. You, so. <laughs> Amen. Um, can we do that? No, nah, just shake their hands or lay it here or whatever. Pops is holding up the basket back there. So, um, When Pam and I got married, we rented from Vanessa's mom and dad. We had this little apartment, 300 bucks, you know, both of us working at Chick-fil-A. Uh, I think you guys are off to a better start than Pam and I, at least financially, <laughs> but still. Um, if you remember what it was like when you first got married, setting up house and all that stuff. Um, so I want us to bless them, and they're going to lead us in singing, so... Um, so anyway, let's start this way and, and come around, and uh, amen, you guys can, I didn't mean to separate you there, praise God. All right, we love you, amen, good things.